Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. Amen. And boy, whoo, we're going to have fun. Amen. The days ahead are very bright for Hope Church. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach a, a, a one-off message to you today uh, that is uh, titled, The Lord, Our Merciful Judge. Uh, and I think you're going to be really encouraged by it. But before we do that, the Lord put it on my heart a couple weeks ago that we would spend time over this summer. I almost said over the summer break, but our kids are off of school now. Uh, everybody's in summer mode and or getting to be in summer mode. And over this summer, we're going to do a couple things. One of the things we're going to do is we're going to do a series on the book of James uh, in, in, a, in a handful of weeks. We'll begin that. Uh, and that'll take us through the remainder of the summer. But the other thing that the Lord put on my heart specifically was to spend time reviewing our core values as a church. I've preached about them. You've probably heard me talk about them here and there. But what we're going to do, we have five core values as a church. And at the beginning of every message for the whole summer, we're going to review those values one at a time for about two to three minutes to keep these things in front of us. How many of you know that values determine a culture? You can go ahead and put the graphics up on the screen. My darling daughter is uh, working on the back. We have five core values. There's five things that we say we value blank. We value this. We value that. And these are the values that help determine the culture of our church. And how many of you know culture is important? If you haven't figured out culture is important, you haven't been paying attention. But today you get a chance to pay attention. Culture is super important. So at the beginning of each service or sermon for the remainder of this summer, I'm going to go over one of these five values and we'll repeat them a couple times on our way through the summer. What do you think? Just take two or three minutes. It's real easy. So value, core value number one today is that we value God's word. Say, so what is Hope Church all about? We're about God's word. Amen. How many of you don't want to go through life without God's word? I don't want to go through life without God's word. We value God's word. That means we value preaching and teaching. That's why we stand up here and preach. Myself or somebody else is up here every week preaching and teaching to you. Why? Because that's God's order. It was his design. It was his idea to choose and to use preaching to impact the hearts of men and women and children. We believe in families here, and I believe that the word of God impacts every family on every level as much as we will allow it to. As much as we will receive the word of God, he will speak to us and his word will impact us. It'll impact our spouses. It'll impact our children. It will impact and shape our family tree for generations to come. The word of God is that powerful. Amen. So we value God's word. We also value discipleship. We just finished a series asking some questions. How do I follow God's plan for my life? Can I tell you that before you get to the specifics of God's plan for your life, that God's number one plan for your life is that you grow up? Amen. Not a lot of amens on that one. I get it. I understand. God's number one plan, his perfect will for your life is that you grow in the things of God. Well, how does that happen? It happens, happens through being a disciple. It happens, through, it happens through coming and submitting yourself to the word of God and letting it do the work in you that it needs to do so that your heart can be shaped and formed and transformed. Amen? So that's what we value. 
If you ever if you ever have anybody ask you, or if you ever wonder yourself, what is Hope Church value? What defines our culture? Number one, we value God's word. His word defines our culture. Amen. We are a church of the word. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. I'm so glad to be a church of God's word. Amen. Thank you, Claire. That was excellent. Um, want to talk to you today from the subject of the Lord, our merciful judge. And I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. While you're turning, let's make our confession and our declaration of faith that we make every single week. And then we'll read this verse and we'll pray. But let's, let's say this out loud together if you're watching with us online. You'll see this on your screen this morning. Be bold and declare this out loud together. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. We believe that we're growing today. Amen. I believe you're going to be growing as we go through the word today. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. My gosh, it feels so good in here this morning. This is going to be so easy to preach today. Thank you. Thank you for your participation today. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into the presence of the Lord. It's so easy when he's here. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18 And it reads, therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. And therefore, he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Therefore, he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait on him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this opportunity that we've been given to come before your word today. To fellowship with you, to fellowship with your word, and to fellowship with your spirit. Lord, we bear our hearts before you today, and we invite you change us, to strengthen us, to challenge us, to grow us up in the things of God. God, we don't want to leave here in the same condition that we came, but rather we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we ask you to speak to us out of your word. We give you first place. We give you the head seat at the table today, Lord, and we ask you to teach us. Father, I pray that my opinion would not come through today, but that people would hear your word and your word alone. Help me, Lord, to communicate and help us all to receive. In the mighty name of Jesus, and let everyone say amen and amen. As I said, I want to talk to you today on the subject of the Lord, our merciful judge. The Lord, our merciful judge. Sounds like an oxymoron. Merciful judge. Doesn't sound like an oxymoron. Doesn't sound like a contradictory idea. We're going to deal today with the concepts of justice and mercy. 
and endeavor to understand how those two concepts relate to one another. If you haven't been living under a rock for the last five years, you've heard the word justice used a time or two. You've probably heard the word mercy used a time or two. And I want to take a, a moment today to, to, to get a biblical understanding of these two concepts. And then I want us to find out how do these two concepts work? How do they relate to one another? And how do they impact us? So we're number one today going to see how God perfectly embodies both pure justice and pure mercy. God perfectly embodies both pure justice and pure mercy. Then we're going to look at the role that both of these concepts have in the gospel because justice and mercy are very present in the message of the gospel. And then lastly, we're going to talk about how they relate to our lives as individuals and as believers. Does that sound like a good thing? Amen. You ready to be stretched today? All right, let's go. I want us to turn to James chapter 1 because we first need to establish the idea that God perfectly embodies both pure justice and pure mercy. James chapter 1. I think the timing of this message is so good because, not because I'm smart, but because the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. And we're going to spend the summer in the book of James. So what better way to do that than by to visit it before we actually go there? James chapter 1, verse 17. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to uncover a, just a, bit, a real big concept for just a second. And that is that everything that God is, when you look at the attributes of who God is, everything that he is, he is in its purest form at 100%. Now, it's, it's, really, it's really easy to say that. It's much more difficult sometimes to wrestle with that reality and to wrap our minds around how that is. The Bible says in John chapter 1, for example, verse 14, it said that, that, that we beheld the glory of Jesus as the only begotten of the Father, and he was full of grace and full of truth. How can you be full of two things? Either you're full of grace or you're full of truth. Right? See, God is so big and he's so spectacular, he's so magnificent, and he's so beyond us and our and, and our finiteness. He's infinite. How, how is God a hundred percent pure mercy and a hundred percent pure justice at the same time? I don't know, he's God. It's it's kind of like are you, are you familiar with the, the theological term the incarnation of Christ? The incarnation of Christ is a theological concept which basically just says that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. How is he that? I don't know. He's God. See, there's a certain level of tension that we and mystery that we as Christians learn to live with. And it's never mystery about like practical stuff like should I love my wife, <laughs> right? It's never mystery about like, you know, should, should, does healing apply to me in the new covenant? There's, there's things, these things are not mysterious. 
But then there's some stuff that just goes so far outside the boundary of our ability as humans to understand that we just simply have to wrestle with or we just have to settle with the fact that we're not going to know some stuff until we get outside of this life. And this is one of those things that God in every one of his attributes is 100% purely that thing. He's righteous. He's not 98% righteous. Right? And like a little 2%. eh. (laughs) The Bible says, Jesus says to us in the book of John that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And he leads us and guides us into all the truth. The Holy Spirit is 100% truth. There's no lie in him. So God perfectly and completely embodies all of these amazing different characteristics to their full without ever competing. He is able to be perfectly just and perfectly merciful at the same time without ever sacrificing either quality. That's amazing. James gives us a little description of this, and I wanted to read us, want us to read it in James chapter 1, verse 17. It reads this way. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no share, uh, variation or shadow of turning. Leave that verse up there for just a minute. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from where? It comes down from God. James describes him as the father of lights. I never, I never understood why. And then I started digging and doing some reading. And, and I, I found an author. I don't remember or don't know the author's name. I couldn't find the person who wrote this. But I read it and it was so fantastic. He, he said that James here is comparing the lights, the heavenly bodies the stars, the moon, the planets, the solar system. And he's comparing those things to the unchangingness of God. Have you ever sat and sat up late at night, maybe on your back porch because we live in the mountains and there's, it's real easy to see stars at night? Have you ever sat up and just watched the night sky and watched how the moon seems to change depending on what time of night it is? When the moon first comes up, it's really big and it's close to the horizon and it feels so close. But then at 2 a.m., the moon's in a completely different place in the sky and it feels really far away. Have you ever watched a time lapse of the solar system, like a time lapse video? And you just see, man, the stars just move through the heavens. It's glorious looking. James is contrasting that with God. And he's saying, When you look at the heavens, depending on the angle you look at them, depending on what time it is, they're different. But when you look at God from any angle, at any time, through any lens, from any place, he never changes. You can't see God as anything other than who he really is. Though people have tried throughout the eons of time to manipulate and to twist who God is, the truth always wins out that no matter how you see him, he's consistent. There's no variation in him. There's no shadow of turning in him. When he says he's just, he's just. He's all just. When he says he's merciful, baby, he's all mercy. How do those two things, how, 
How do we wrap our heads around these two concepts? Let's keep going. God is pure and unchanging in all of his attributes. He's both 100% merciful and 100% perfectly just at the exact same time. So how can God perfectly embody two seemingly opposing concepts at the same time? I want us to sit with this question for a minute and think about it. Like the writer of Psalms and Proverbs says, Selah. You see, what we tend to do in an attempt to reconcile these kinds of issues in our heads, what we tend to do is that we make God out to be divided. Now, it's not intentional. We're not trying to take anything away from God. But in, sometimes in order to reconcile these issues in our mind, we, we make God out to be divided. In other, in other words, sometimes he's merciful, and then sometimes he's just. Sometimes he's merciful, sometimes he's just. And that determination usually has to do with whatever is most convenient to me in that moment. It's quiet. Just making sure y'all are still awake. I may get a little theological on you, but stay with me. This is going to be good. Sometimes... We make him out to be merciful. Sometimes we make him out to be just. How about this? Ready? How about this? When my life choices need him to be merciful, I decide that he's merciful. Right? Yes. Oh, God's a God of mercy. Why? I screwed up huge last night. You have no idea how bad I did. Or how about this? When my preferences regarding other people require him to be just, then I decide that he's just. You know, it helps if you just look straight ahead and then nobody knows that I'm talking about you. It's really... No, this is all of us, isn't it? This, this, hits, this hits home, doesn't it? When, when my life choices need him to be merciful, I decide he's merciful. When my preferences regarding other people uh, need him to be uh, justice or just, then I decide that he's just. So what is it? Is God divided? Is he schizophrenic? <laughs> is he undecided? Is he, is he on the fence? Maybe it, maybe it depends on the time of week. You know, maybe Monday through Wednesday is pretty easy going. But then we get closer to the weekend, he starts really buckling up because he knows y'all about to get wild on the weekend. Maybe it's, maybe it's not dependent on that. Maybe it's dependent on the time of day. After all, the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. And it says, weeping may endure for the night. So maybe God's really merciful in the morning when he's in a good mood. And then by the end of the evening, you know, get your prayer requests in early. Because by the end of the day, he's, he gets pretty cranky around 930. I'm just going to be honest with you. No, obviously, that stuff is not reality. How do God's perfect justice and perfect mercy work together? Maybe we'll get some clarity by defining each of these words 
and drilling down into them. Y'all doing okay this morning? Y'all still love me? Amen. (laughs) I love you very much. I love you enough to tell you stuff like this. Amen. Let's define these words. Let's define mercy first. Get the easy one out of the way. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness that is shown towards someone whom it is within one's own power to punish or harm. I'm going to read it to you again, and then I'm going to give you the Josh Thurman translation, quick and dirty. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone, this is mercy, compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's own power to punish or to harm. You've heard me say it this way before. This is my definition of mercy. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Y'all have heard me use that that phrase before. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. It's when you show compassion towards someone instead of unloading on them what it is that they really deserve. I've used the example before. If I go 110 down this road, if I go flying down Bamboo Road and the police officer comes out and he catches me, what's he going to do? He's going to give me a big ticket. He's probably going to take my license. I may go to jail. And in that case, what would I do? What, 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 would, what would be the reality of it? I deserve it. Why? I was breaking the law. I deserved it. It's a whole nother thing for me to be caught in that situation and for the police officer to pull me over and say, you know what? You deserve to go to jail. But I'm going to let you off. You get a warning today. Go your way and sin no more. (laughs) Isn't that what Jesus did to the woman caught in adultery? Didn't he see her in her moment of weakness and rather than let her have it, he stopped everybody else around her from letting her have it. He said, which one of you has no sin? You get to throw the first stone. Man, Jesus is so smart. He makes statements that nobody can argue with. See, we've seen his mercy before. Let's talk about his justice. Let's define this word justice. Justice is the quality of being just or perfect. It is righteousness. It is equitableness. It is moral rightness. When you hear the word justice, what we're talking about is the standard of moral rightness. Righteousness, justice means the assignment. Watch this. This is very important. Justice also means the assignment of merited rewards or punishment. See, justice isn't always just negative. It's simply the standard by which we measure everything. And if you measure up, you get rewarded. If you don't measure up, you get punished. Make sense? If mercy then is me not getting what I deserve, then justice is me getting exactly what I deserve, either good or bad. We do this with our kids all the time. Honey, I need you to clean up your toys. 
one child says, sure, dad. Right away. Like the Von Trapp children. Anyways, some of y'all never saw Gone with the Wind or uh, Sound of Music, whatever it was. There you go. See, isn't a good joke just cut the tension? Man, I love it. One child, you say, clean up your room, and they just, they snap to it. The other child maybe doesn't even look up (laughs) from whatever they're doing. And you leave the room, of course, because you're busy as a parent, and then you come back, and one half of the room is spotless, and the other child is laying in the same spot, just on their side, just looking at something, reading, playing with something, and you go, what's the deal? And what happens? Justice rewards the one for the good and punishes the other for, the, for falling short. That's how it works. So, so if God, listen, God was the one who created all these concepts. God was the one who created justice. So I don't get to take that attribute away from him when it doesn't suit me. Let me say it one more time. God's the one who created justice, so I don't get to take that attribute away from him just when it suits me. God said to Moses, I'm the great I am. Tell them I am that I am. I don't get to call God the great I was. He used to be just, but now he's just all mercy. Are you wrestling with this yet? You kind of wrestle with it a little, don't you? It's good. If mercy is not getting what you deserve, justice is getting exactly what you deserve, whether it's good or bad. Watch this. Justice, then, is the standard. Justice doesn't care about your feelings. It only cares about what's right. And this is where it starts to get a little stickier. I thought we were going to solve the problem by drilling deeper. We seem to be deeper. And we haven't solved it yet. It's actually getting stickier. Why? Because everybody demands justice until justice demands something of them. If you're taking notes, you want to write that one down. Everybody demands justice until justice demands something of them. In other words, I don't mind justice when it requires something of you. But the minute that justice requires something of me, I want mercy. So right away, we find the flaw in unredeemed human beings. People who are unredeemed have this this intrinsic existential flaw. It's that we want justice for everyone around us. We want mercy for ourselves. And that's a problem. I once heard a wise man say these words, and it struck me. This was 15 years ago I heard him say this. He says, we judge others based on their actions, and we judge ourselves based on our intentions. Ay, 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 ay. Don't worry, it's getting better. Just stay with me. We're going to turn a corner here in a minute. We judge others by their actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions. Look what they did to me. Look what you did to them. Yeah, but I didn't mean to. (laughs) That's not what I meant to say. 
Well, listen, goofball, it's what you said. Yeah, but they did this to me. Trust me, I got three daughters. I know exactly how this works. Look what they did to me. I didn't mean to do that to them. Why do you think, why do you think the Bible says stuff like this? The word of God is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. You don't have to turn there, but this is what it says. It says that the word of God is living and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it goes to work, this is my paraphrase, just to save time, but it goes to work in our hearts and it divides between joints and marrow and, it, and between the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God always goes right to the core of the issue and separates fact from fiction. And it separates action from intention. And if you and I will learn to let the word guide us, we won't have to be in situations where we have to discern between what we did and what we meant to do. Character happens when what you do and what you mean to do come together. Glory to God. We judge others based on their actions. We judge ourselves based on our intentions. Why do you think Jesus commanded us to love our neighbors the same way we love ourselves. Why? Because when we love ourselves, we put our intentions first. And if I can learn to consider what somebody else meant to say instead of what they really say, I might have a little more grace in my heart for that person. Woo! We're just bringing all the cookies and putting them on the lowest shelf where everybody can get to them today. This is for all of us, Amen. But let's not lose the the, the main point, okay? We're not just talking about how we have justice and mercy working in our lives, but how does God, how, how do God's mercy and justice relate to one another as far as he's concerned? In, in other words, a good way to say it is, how is it that God is able to be a merciful judge without compromising either of the two? Remember what we read in Isaiah at the very beginning, Isaiah 30, 18. It said that he is patient with us. He waits for us because he desires to be merciful to us. So see, <coughs> excuse me, when, when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, he created a problem that God has to now fix. When, 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 when Adam sinned and, and Eve sinned in the garden, they create a problem now. And the problem is you've got a perfectly just moral God who wants to relate to immoral, unjust people. God's desire for mercy with his creation had to find a way to satisfy his perfect justice. You following me so far? Anybody confused? Okay, good. I saw no one shaking their heads. God's desire for his mer- or for mercy toward us, his creation, had to find a way to satisfy his perfect justice. So, let's move to point number two. How then does this fit into the gospel? How does this fit? This this quandary, this problem, this issue that we've created, this tension that we find ourselves in. How does it relate to the gospel? Let me introduce you to the scales of justice. If you can put that first slide up, please. I got an illustrated sermon for you today. 
Y'all familiar with this image? You've seen the scales of justice before? This is a lady named Justice. She's got a sword in her left hand. She's got a scales in her right hand, and she's blindfolded. The blindfold means that she's unbiased. She doesn't know what's being weighed, so she has no way of inserting her bias into it. She's got the scales, which is going to determine whether the situation being tested is just or unjust. And she's got a sword in the other hand, ready to issue the punishment, should punishment be needed. These are the scales of justice. If you've ever been to court, you've seen these. These are the scales that are representative of justice. In fact, they're representative of justice in our legal system in America. And in case you're wondering, these are very much based on Scripture. Most people know how these scales work at least halfway. At least halfway. Most of us know that in order for justice to be satisfied, the scale must be balanced. Right? Do we all agree on that? Show that first, that next slide. You got the good and the green. You got the bad and the red. And we know that these scales need to be balanced. So all our good deeds are represented by green. All our, red, our bad deeds are represented by red. Most of us think that this is how the scales get balanced. Most of us think that this is how the scales work but it's not. Most of us and most world religions get this part wrong. Most of us think that, not you guys, because you're good Bible-believing Christians who come to a fantastic church where they preach the word. Amen. But, you know, people that are stuck in world religions or, or other, other forms of belief they think their good deeds has to at least balance out their bad deeds. And if we can, if we can get the scales balanced, I'm going to make it to heaven. If I, can just get the, if I could get my good deeds to a very minimum balance out my bad deeds or go a little bit above my bad deeds, then I'm all right. When I get to the end of my life, hopefully if I've done enough good stuff, God's going to be happy with me. But that's not how the scales of justice work. Let's look at the next slide. Yes, in order for justice to be served, the scales of justice do have to be balanced, but this is the way that they're balanced. The standard for justice goes on one side, and all the good and all the bad and everything goes on the other side. That's how they really work. This is the way that the scale actually works to balance the standard of justice against everything else. Now, it's, this is fine and it's okay, it's good. If you're, you know, in a legal battle, you got all the evidence, in the, uh, all the evidence on one side and you got perfect justice on the other side as far as the legal system is concerned. This is great. But it creates a huge problem when we start talking about righteousness and our salvation. Put up that next slide. 
This is the way the scale really looks in our lives. We got us on one side, and we got God on the other side. We got his perfect standard of justice. He is without flaw. He is perfect. We sing that song, you're a good, good father. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are are without blemish. You are perfect. God, there's nobody like him. He's perfect. And his justice is without blemish. It's, It's without tarnish. His standard is on one side. And everything from our life, the good, the bad, the indifferent, the neutral, the positive, the negative, the good days, the bad days, the good words, the bad words, the good experiences, the bad experiences. 100% of God is on one side and 100% of you is on the other side. By the way, everybody gets a set of these scales in their own life. You and I will never be on the scale together. That's encouraging. Amen. Thank God. Amen. That's encouraging. We're never going to be on the scale together. When this life is over, it's going to be God on one side and you on the other side, all by your lonesome. Right? See, God's, we're left here with a huge problem. We have God on one side of the scale. His justice on one side of the scale and us on the other. We're trying to balance God's perfect justice against our imperfection and our sin. And let me tell you, we will never be able to do this. And let me tell you something further. God's not going to alter his standard of justice for anybody. For him to do that would make him unjust. God's not going to lower the bar on what's right and wrong. Never has, never will. Because for him to change, for him to course correct and go, you know what? I know that in the Old Testament I said that that was wrong, but it's not anymore. God doesn't do that. In order for him to do that, he would be unjust, right? So we got a big problem. Big. Because listen, you could get on this side of the scale and jump on it all you want to get it to balance. It ain't going to move. You could bring an elephant-sized bag of good works to the party, and it's done nothing for you. You could go to church every day for 18 hours a day for the rest of your life and, and pray and shave your head and wear robes and only eat, you know, crickets and do whatever kind of crazy thing you think is spiritual. You could climb to the highest mountain and sit there until all your thoughts are gone. And then you're just really lonely at that point. You could do it all, man. You could bring all of your good works to the party and absolutely try to get that scale to move on this side and it's not going anywhere because God's perfect standard for justice is not going to be compromised. See, sometimes we think that God's mercy comes and removes his justice from the scale. 
God's answer to this problem is not to remove his justice from the equation. God's answer to this problem is not to remove the standard. His answer to this problem was to get on both sides of the scale. Show me the last slide. God's answer to this problem is to get on both sides. We could not adjust the equation. We could never equal his justice, so his pure mercy stepped in to make sure that both sides of the scale were equal. His mercy ensured that this side of the scale looks just like this side of the scale. I want you to make note of this. The reality is this. You will never, ever understand God's perfect justice until you have had an encounter with his perfect mercy. God's mercy is the one who came and adjusted. He put himself on both sides of the scale. It's the only way that it could work. You say, how did he do it, pastor? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Leave that graphic up on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This might be my favorite passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. I could quote it to you, but I might get emotional, and I don't want to forget what I'm doing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. How did he do this? How did he get both sides of the scale to look the same? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, verse 18, now all things are of God. Oh my gosh, what is that saying? It's saying that everything on this side of the scale looks like God and everything on this side of the scale looks like God. Now, after you encounter the blood of Jesus, you become a new creature in Christ. You become a transformed, brand new, fresh off of heaven's assembly line Christian. And you stand in the perfect justice and perfect mercy of God. Hallelujah. Now all things are of God. Watch this. Who has reconciled us to himself. That might be one of the most important sentences in the New Testament. He has reconciled us to himself. Reconciliation is a legal accounting term. It's a term that means balancing the scales. It means God got on your side of the scale and made you look like him. Whew. I don't know about you. If this doesn't make you thankful for the blood of Jesus, nothing ever will. Come on. Man, when we sing the kind of worship songs we sang this morning about the magnificent awesomeness of who God is, and then we look at our own lives in the mirror and go, I absolutely do not measure up to that. You do now. 
you do now. Why? Because God got on your side of the scale. Because you were lost and without hope. Because you were in sin. Because you had failed. And you were looking at God's justice on the other side of the scale. And saying, you know what? There's no way in heaven or earth that I'm ever going to measure up to this. No good work. No good attitude. No no retreat. No trip to a guru. No nothing is going to make me better than who I am. The Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags when we bring it to God. Your side of the scale without Jesus is ugly. But what happened is that God decided to reconcile the scales and say, I can do this. How can I do it? My mercy is going to get involved and my mercy is going to get on this side of the scale and make it look like the other one. He reconciled me to himself. Ay, ay, ay. He reconciled you to himself. That means you're new, new in Christ. New name, new identity, new DNA, new heart, new mind. Glory to God, everything is new. From the minute you say yes to Jesus, from the minute the blood of Jesus encounters your heart, from the inside out, everything is new. It all changes with the cross. He reconciles us to himself. Pastor Josh, How did he reconcile me to himself? How? How could he take something worthless and make it as beautiful as him? How could he he take the nothingness of a human life without him? How could he take this this hell-bound person whose righteousness doesn't amount to anything. And how could he reconcile it to himself? The Bible gives us the answer in verse 21. It says, for he, that's God, for God made him, that's Jesus. The first he is God. The second he is Jesus the Son. Can I read it to you that way? For God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. You know... The graphics help to tell the tale, but they even fall short a little bit. God, God's perfect justice is over on this side of the scale. And then we got our mess over on this side of the scale. It would be easy to think that God took like a refrigerator box painted to look like his justice and plop it over top of our mess and cover and hide our mess. God did not hide your old identity. He buried it with him. Hence, Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I that live, but Christ now lives in me. Jesus is on both sides of the scale because he's living in you, because his blood has covered you, because he's brought you out of darkness and into light. You're not the same person you used to be. You're a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. The new has come. That sinful man, that sinful woman, they're not covered by blood. They're eradicated by the blood of Jesus. The cross of Christ has crucified you. Paul says we were buried with him and we've been resurrected with him. Oh, the life I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For this reason, my friend, you don't get to walk around calling yourself a dirty, rotten sinner anymore. If if that was true, the scale would still be unbalanced. Oh, man. If that was true, the blood wasn't effective. No, the fact that you have been baptized in the blood of Jesus that you've given your life to Christ the justice of God is completely satisfied in your life because his mercy endures forever he didn't have to he didn't have to sacrifice his justice to welcome you into the family Jesus came God on your side of the scale. Jesus came and said, I'll make the arrangement. This is why, this is why in the garden, this is why in the garden of Gethsemane, just hours before Calvary, he's alone with the Father and the Bible says he's sweating profusely, sweating so much that he sweats great drops of blood. His skin is hemorrhaging. He's under the weight of the sin of the entire human race for all history. And he looks up to heaven and he says, Lord, if this cup can pass from me, let it. In other words, God, have we reviewed every option? Are we sure that this is how we redeem humanity, that I become sin for them? Friend, that's mercy. That's mercy. It's mercy to become the thing that separates people from God. Verse 21 said he became sin. He didn't just take our sin. He became it. He became the thing that cannot live in God's presence. And he got on our side of the scale. That's why 1 Corinthians 15 says death is swallowed up in life. Because when Jesus got on your side of the scale, the death that clung to you got swallowed up in his life. This act of mercy balanced the scale forever. And you want to know why this is so awesome? Look at that scale. You think you can mess that up? Come on. Come on, talk to me. 
You think you can screw up that arrangement? You think any amount of sinning is going to, uh, you know, uh, 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 get rid of this thing that God did between the Father and the Son? This is a covenant. This is an agreement. This is an arrangement that God the Father made with God the Son. And they came down and Jesus came in the flesh and died on the cross and became sin and everything I've already said. You ain't never going to out that. The only thing that you and I can do is reject believing it. That's it. Pastor, what if I murder somebody? You know, God will forgive you for murdering somebody. I'm not encouraging you to do that, by the way. Pastor, what if I failed morally? You know, the blood of Jesus is actually stronger than your moral failure. You're never going to not convince God to be in perfect agreement with his son. Never. The only thing that will prevent you from walking in the reality of what I've described to you today is if you decide not to believe it. That's it. If you decide, you know what? I don't agree with that. I think God wants more of my good works. No, I don't agree with that. That sounds too easy. That, that grace, that sounds a little too cheap. I think I got to work a little harder for it. You're not believing what he did. The only thing that will stop us from experiencing God's best is a denial in believing. I pray that you never, never deny, never fail to believe what Jesus did for you. It was the most precious sacrifice. It was the most precious gift. Guys, the scales are balanced forever. Amen. Can you stand to your feet? Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.